Welcome to Sound Mind Sound Body Stories, a podcast powered by ASICS. I'm Tegan Nash, and this is a show for anyone and everyone on a mission to improve their health physically and mentally. Now, I'm pretty sure most people won't have heard the Latin saying, anima sana in capor sano, but translated, it means sound mind in a sound body, which is a philosophy that I share with millions of people around the world. People who are just starting out on their journey to a healthier self or who are well on their way to achieving their mental and physical goals by getting up off their bottoms and moving their bodies. My story is a pretty familiar one. The stresses of everyday life, both at work and at home, set against a backdrop of COVID, climate change, and general social chaos have really had an impact on me and my well-being. My day job is a TV presenter and producer, which is a job I love. But what is most important to me and what I am most passionate about is keeping healthy and helping to motivate others to do what it takes to get fit both mentally and physically. I am lucky enough to have been asked by ASICS to be an ambassador for their mission to make more people start moving their bodies and exercising, which is why I have decided to make a podcast about exactly that. So I need some good news. I want to be inspired and I want to hear from people who have found ways to turn the topsy-turvy times we are going through to their advantage. People who have pushed through barriers and found satisfaction and success against the odds, but above all, who are keeping their body and soul together by showing resilience. Resilience that maybe I can put into practice myself. This is what Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories is all about. Our first guest on Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories is someone I know pretty well. She's a psychologist who spends a lot of time with elite athletes, helping them to find their why and find that little bit extra to go from being good to being great. Her work embodies what we are doing on this show. So I thought it was fitting to have this lovely woman on our first episode to help us set up what it means to have a sound mind in a sound body from a practical and scientific point of view. We chatted about so many things while she was carrying her four-month-old daughter Harlow on her shoulder. So you may hear the occasional peep from Harlow, but she was pretty good and slept for most of our chat. Here is registered psychologist Meg McClurg. Meg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're our first guest and I'm actually so excited to see you because I don't think we've seen each other since the very beginning of COVID and you didn't have a baby back then. I know. So you've got little Harlow with you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, she's very, very cute and this is her first podcast. So if you hear a little baby, then it's little Harlow. Yep, saying hello. Now, Meg, Sound Mind, Sound Body, it's kind of your jam. You work with athletes and coaches to help them find what's within them to help yeah. them achieve their goals as athletes. Does does that sort of sound right? Yeah. So I work as a psychologist and one of the populations that I work with is athletes. We work on a whole range of different things, working on mental health to, I guess, optimise performance as a foundation for performance is certainly one of the things that is common when working with athletes. And is sport something that you were already passionate about but before you got into it? Like did you play sport as a kid? Yeah, yeah. You're part of the Sound Mind, Sound Body crew. Yep. Uh, so we all run together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played sport 
all through childhood. I was an avid netballer, played a bunch of different sports. I wouldn't say that I was ever super competitive in sports, but I just wanted to give everything a go. I just I just loved being active and I loved playing sport. I remember being in year 11 or 12 and reading my PE textbook and there was a section in the PE textbook on sports psychology and how we can utilize the mind to change how we perform. And I was like, oh my God, what? That is like, I don't know, maybe I was a bit sheltered. I grew up out in the, out in parks and I'd never heard of psychology. And I was like, you're telling me that we can change how someone performs through just working with their mind. Like I was just blown away. And I was like, I want to study psychology. That is amazing. I feel like when you put it that way, it sounds really awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, we've been chatting to athletes and mental health is something that is just so big. And, you know, I think it always has been, but that sort of stigma around mental health, do you find that that's sort of shifting and people are talking about things a lot more now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's tricky for people to understand. And I always, I come back to like, I remember when I was studying at university and I'm reading about mental health and clinical diagnoses and things like that and I I really don't feel like until I started practicing and I started seeing those presentations and talking to people who were struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression or just struggling with their mental health in general I don't even really feel like I understood mental health that well so I just think that if you don't struggle with mental health and you never have uh, too much everyone sort of goes in highs and lows with their own mental health but if it's not something that you've felt like you've really struggled with, I think it can be just a little bit hard to understand. And so I guess it's the same as like, I wouldn't know what it's like to break my leg because I've never broken my leg. And I might be like, ah, broken leg, you can still hobble around on crutches. Like, what do you mean you can't go up those stairs? You know, and it's the same kind of thing, I think, with mental health. If people don't really understand what it might be like for someone who's got a mental health disorder or who's just struggling at that time, then they might, I guess think that they can do more or have ideas about what they should be able to do or things like that. I think it's easy to understand mental health when you relate it to something physical because we can see physical health. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. This podcast is talking about sound mind in a sound body. Mm. It can mean different things for people. So, for example, for me, when I feel sound, sound mind and inner sound body, it's sort of when my mind and my body is working in harmony together. Yeah. But that's not a lot of the time because I also have an autoimmune disease. And so when I get hit with a flare up, then I'm physically, I'm out, you know, I've just been out for like a month. And then it's like, okay, how do I get through that frustration of not being able to move my body, not being able to get out of bed and not feeling good? And yeah. what are some things I can do to strengthen my mind because I can't strengthen my body in that time? Yeah. So yeah. would you agree that it is different for everyone? Yeah, it is really tough tough when you are physically immobilized mm. because being physically mobilized helps mobilize our brain as well it helps with cognition it helps with mood you know it's very well researched all of those things so when you're physically immobilized so you're down and out with your Mm. with your health then it can become really tricky to 
keep the mind healthy. Do you find that when you get, when you're down and out, like your mental health? Totally. Yeah. And I, I always feel like when I am down and out, it'll just pass. Yeah. Things will get better. And then so for like a minute, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Just embrace it. Just take this moment to just relax. I especially get frustrated when I see so many people posting on social media and I'm prone to it as well. Just went for a run, feeling great, da, 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 da. But not everyone can do that. You know, how does that make certain people feel when they are out? Maybe they've broken a leg or, you know, other conditions that they might have. It's like a little roller coaster, I guess. Totally. And I think athletes would relate to this maybe in being out with an injury. Mm. That can be something that might even initiate seeing a psychologist because they're down out with an injury and they're struggling with pretty much the same thing, Teague, as you. And they might be having thoughts, mm. you know, like for some athlete at the really high level, like that's their career and it's a huge part of who they are. If not, you know, that's how they fully identify themselves. That can be really tricky because if your whole identity is wrapped around something that you can no longer do or momentarily can't do, then that can trigger some really challenging mental health. I guess a big piece of it is around the acceptance. Yeah. You know, I love that you're like, yeah, this is just a moment and I'm going to try and make Mm. the best of this and stuff. And then I think sometimes that just isn't going to work and you've just got to be like, this sucks like I'm all for a pity party for yourself and being like you know what I feel really sorry for myself all I want to be able to do is go and run and I can't have that pity party and then like I accept that this is where I am and Mm. it comes back to like helpful and unhelpful thinking you know like how helpful is it Mm. to ruminate on like oh I can't do that or I can't do this not making you feel better it's probably making you feel worse and when we integrate acceptance into it you're just sort of accepting that the situation might suck and that's okay I think we're in social media as well we've got a bit of a culture of maybe a little bit of toxic positivity sometimes and we're always trying Mm. to find silver linings and things like that and sometimes things are just hard and that's okay And it's okay to feel down and out about it and knowing that getting through those times when you are down and out and you feel, yeah, really crap is building your resilience. You know, it doesn't help you feel better in the moment, but getting through tough times is what makes people resilient and that's what you're doing. You're becoming more resilient in those times when things are on top of you and it it sucks. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm all yeah, being like flat it, out. Sucks. it just sucks yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and Meg can you talk to me about the science behind it all like what's what's happening to our brains when we might be having those sort of negative thoughts or emotions yeah yeah <sighs> so much <laughs> it's like where do I start with all of this the perspective that I take I guess when working with people is that thoughts come and go and we don't really have that much control of our thoughts or our emotions and letting go of control for people can be really hard and a lot of the time athletes they do like to be in control of things and they're very organized people and things like that the sort of position I take is that our thoughts they come and they go and I use an analogy that if you're sitting on the edge of the river and your thoughts were just the stream of the river and you've got a fishing rod occasionally one of your thoughts gets stuck on your fishing rod and you spend a lot of time with that thought and that might be a positive thought and it might be a negative thought but I guess the implications for 
getting stuck on a negative thought is that you do feel the emotions related to that thought. And it can be really hard to know that you've noticed that you've got stuck on that thought and Mm. to unhook from that thought. And while you're stuck on that thought, all your other thoughts are sort of passing by in the background and you're not really taking much notice of those. And that's all based in mind, like a mindfulness practice. That's what mindfulness is all about is watching thoughts go by and accepting that they're there and trying to get unstuck from any thoughts that might keep coming up or that you might find yourself getting stuck on all of the time. Yeah, how do we become unstuck from a thought, whether it be positive or negative? Yeah, the first step is to be aware that you are stuck. Mm. Once you realise that, that's half of your work done is realizing, oh, I'm just stuck with this thought. And one way that you can work with it is saying like, you know, is this thought helping me in any way? Can I do any problem solving with this thought? Or is this thought just leading to me feeling some pretty crap emotion? Then you might, you know, want to do something else, something that makes you feel good if you are stuck on a negative thought. Mm. Okay, this is just a thought. It's making me feel really bad. I'm going to go and do something that makes me feel good. I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to put the music on and dance around. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do something that I know makes me feel good. And Mm. I'm going to work on letting go of this thought. And it might be you saying to yourself, this is just a thought. I'm letting it go. It doesn't serve me or it doesn't help me or, you know, something like that. But recognizing that it's just a thought is a big part. Mm. And you spoke about mindfulness. It's such a big thing right now. And the science seems to be pretty clear that meditation is really good for us. For people that don't meditate, how do you get into you know meditation or mindfulness? Yeah, it's massive at the moment. And I think sometimes it scares people off because they're yeah. like, oh, I don't really... You know, and it's, and it's got such positive health benefits, it must be really hard. And it is really hard, but it's, I don't think it's as tricky as what we might think that it is. So mindfulness is about attention and it's about paying attention to the present moment. And it is about sitting on the edge of that stream and watching thoughts go by and noticing mm-hmm. if we're getting hooked, noticing our body, noticing things like that. And I think maybe people think that when they do mindfulness or meditation, they're going to sit down, they're going to feel awesome, it's going to be so zen, and their mind's going to clear. And yeah. it's almost the opposite of mm. what happens, really. <laughs> you notice how busy, well, some people's minds might clear, but for anyone with a busy mind, um, which I know I definitely have, mm. it's like a whirlwind in there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, all these thoughts. <laughs> and sometimes, like, memories pop up from, yeah. like, fascinating when you sit back and you watch your mind go around and you're like what is going on in my head and and the whole mindfulness practice is about being curious towards those things so if a thought pops up rather than being judgmental towards it and being like Mm. oh I shouldn't think that or why am I thinking that or that's stupid being like oh that's so interesting that that thought pops up for me you know being curious and being compassionate towards yourself is a huge piece of the mindfulness practice yeah, but it is, it's It's not then. No. <laughs> it's, it's busy. I think yeah. it, it also depends sort of what's happening in your life at the moment too. If it's super chaotic, there are going to be a lot, your mind's going to be racing. Yeah. 
But let's talk a little bit about uh, being active and exercise. You know, I find that yeah. I love running and when I run, it makes me feel really mm-hmm. good. What's the science behind that? Why does moving our bodies make us feel so good? There's so much research on the benefits for mental health, but also cognition and mood when it comes to exercise. Studies have shown exercise to be just as effective as psychotherapy and just as effective as some medication, which I just think is phenomenal. That something that is at our fingertips Mm. is as effective as treatment. Mm -hmm. So exercise, for example, increases the number of neurotransmitters that are in our brain. And neurotransmitters are the connection points between neurons that help neurons communicate with each other. It increases this factor in our brains called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. And the I guess the guy that is he talks about this a lot, his name is Dr. John Rady. He's a, a psychiatrist. He labels BDNF as brain fertilizer. He's like, mm-hmm. it just it helps it helps with their health of our brain. So it helps with the health of our neurons. It helps fertilize connections. So it helps make new connections which are important when we're trying to learn new things or we might be trying to change our thinking on something and get out of a rut of a way of thinking or a way of doing things. So it helps increase BDNF. It reduces inflammation and inflammation is often linked with mood disorders. The benefits of it are endless and there's a lot of stuff going on in our brain on a chemical level. But then there's also the fact that when we do get into a regular exercise routine or we do go out and do some sort of exercise linked to what's going on in our brain, but then also as a psychological evaluation of ourselves, we feel good about ourselves and that's purely psychological and that increases our self-efficacy. It makes us feel like, you know, we're mastering things. We have agency in our life and, you know, increases confidence and all of those psychological benefits that are linked with what's going on in the brain, but it's really an evaluation itself that most of the time exercise (laughs) does make us feel really good. And, you know, setting goals and achieving those goals makes us feel awesome. And that's a huge part of why we feel so good as well. We also hear about like the runner's high and people talk about endorphins and, and it does increase endorphins. It communicates with dopamine. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the brain. But then there's, yeah, there's that psychological component as well. So interesting. It's so, Super so interesting. interesting. And I recommend this book by Dr. John Rady it's called Spark. And it's all about the effects of exercise on the brain. And he is just a wizard. He talks about all of these chemical reactions that are happening and you're interested in it and you're interested in the brain and exercise and its relationship. It's, it's mm. a really fascinating book. Another point on exercise and I guess what helps us to feel good is it helps us to deal with stress. And I think that's probably why a lot of people maybe get into exercise. Life is stressful and it's busy and there are lots of coping mechanisms that we can use to deal with stress. Some unhelpful. Some people love to go to the pub after work, which is fine on a Friday. Maybe it's not fine Monday to Friday. Yeah. And that might be a way that they're coping with stress, but exercise is a really healthy, effective way to be dealing with stress. And I think probably coping with stress is one of the most beneficial parts 
of exercise. I, I can't remember who said this, but I can't remember if it was a psychologist or someone, but they're talking about stress and the stress response. And they're saying when a zebra sees a lion out in the wild, it has a stress response that fuels them to fight or flight, that fuels their fight or flight response. They run away from the lion, hopefully, and then the lion goes away and then the zebra goes back to normal. The zebra doesn't then stand there and go, oh, my God, what if that lion comes back? What am I going to do? Oh, yeah. did I just hear that lion again? You know, it doesn't, as humans, we can create stress in the absence of stress. So we can mm. trigger a fight-or-flight response even when there is no lion. And yeah. we do that all the time because we live in our heads, you know, a lot. And we think about all these things and we create the same response in our body as if there was a lion in front of us just mm. by thinking about, oh, my God, I've got so much to do before work tomorrow or I've got so much to do at work tomorrow. Our body doesn't know the difference between that and there's a lion. So we're having the same stress response in our body, mm. fight or flight, which is a mobilizing response, right? Like it's preparing us to either run or to, or to fight. So the hormones that are being secreted into our body are mobilizing hormones. And then if we're immobile, they get stuck. Right. So if you're having a really stressful day at work and you're sitting in your chair all day and you're having fight or flight, your body is literally filled with adrenaline, with cortisol, and mm -hmm. you're not doing anything to mobilize yourself, yeah. then that, that becomes accumulative chronic stress or it can become chronic stress. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Yeah. I feel like everyone might have had a little sort of experience of that fight or flight, especially when COVID hit. So many oh, people 100%. lost jobs and, you know. And when we do have a, a stress response, so when we do go fight or flight, the thinking part of our brain somewhat switches off and hmm. we do do crazy things like yeah. toilet paper because our brain is designed to shut down from the top to the bottom if we need to act in, to, in a way that we deem necessary for survival. And that's mm -hmm. what a stress response is. It's going, okay, something's not right. I need to mobilize myself in order to survive here. And we, and you know, I'm sure everyone can relate to a time when you felt really stressed or really scared or really anxious and you just can't think clearly at all. Yeah. Being rational goes out the window and someone's like, just calm down. And you're like, wow, yeah. I. That's such a rational answer and I totally would if I could, but I can't. Yeah. Um, and so a way to deal with the way that our brain structured is movement can help regulate that response because movement lives in the bottom section of our brain. We don't have to think about movement. You don't have to think about walking or running necessarily. And so if we are having that stress response, one way that we can regulate it is through movement rather than mm. just saying, calm down, calm down, calm down. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I don't know, never works for me. I find that if I feel frazzled or my like fight or flight's active, I'm really clumsy. I drop yeah. everything. I'm all over the shop. Yeah, yeah. You know, our brains are wired for survival. That's how they're built. That's how they're structured. And when we really look at things, a lot of our habits come because our brain's doing what it thinks it needs to do in order to survive. The simplicity of that I find comforting and, you know, I find when working with clients a lot of the time, they find that simplicity 
a little bit of a relief. Mm. Just the brain's just doing what it thinks it needs to do in order to survive. We've got the same brains that our hunter-gatherer ancestors had and, you know, they were running away from lions. So yeah. <laughs> it yeah. makes sense for them. So when you are working with the athletes, what does it look like and how do you go about helping them to optimise their performance? It depends on what the athlete's goals are coming into therapy. So I work with athletes most of the time one-on-one. Occasionally um, I speak to you know teams or to coaches and things like that, but a lot of my practice is just one-on-one with an athlete. It might be they really want to reach that top level of their performance and their mental health is really good and they want the mental skills to help achieve that next level of their performance so if you are mentally healthy and you've got a really I guess sound mind then applying those mental skills is really effective in reaching that next level of performance but then you've got athletes who are coming in who are really struggling in one way or another and they might be struggling with things that are happening in their personal life and that's Mm. influencing their performance or they're struggling with an aspect of performance so common things are dealing with pressure. Performance anxiety is, is massive. So yeah, so you've got some that are struggling with something and they want help in you know being able to cope with that better. And an athlete is a human before they're an athlete. So totally. if things are going on for themselves as a human, then it's really hard for them to perform as an athlete. How do you yeah. help? an athlete manage all of that outside noise so that they do perform at their optimum? Firstly, we'd be identifying identifying, um, coping skills that they might already have and looking at are those coping skills adaptive, are they maladaptive, are they helping? And then really we're looking at how can we replace some of those, those coping skills so that you can deal with stressors better. And then another, like in part to that is, therapy and it's mm. digging into their values and their evaluations of themselves their evaluations of things around them their habits their thinking habits their behavioral habits it's going into that and helping them work through that an athlete doesn't come in and I problem solve for them an athlete comes in and I'm like oh so like sounds like this and this and this and sometimes just having someone relay to you what you're saying and and looking at it from a completely different perspective it allows you to shift no doubt there will be some people listening to this podcast who are possibly trying to find a bit of motivation they might not be exercising they might not have a sound mind sound body what are some steps that they can take to help motivate them again motivation is a feeling and it comes and it goes and I think it's important to recognize that you're not always going to feel motivated oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah as anyone who is in a well-established exercise routine would tell you any day of the week you don't always feel motivated to go for a run if we sit around and sit on the couch and I'm just like yeah I'm just waiting for this motivation that I need (laughs) to go for a run you're probably going to sit on the couch for a really long time so yes things that are helpful if you're trying to establish some sort of exercise routine or get into some kind of movement is start really small and I'm talking Mm. like really small if you want to start going to the gym spend a week of getting up at the time or like or going to the gym after work drive there park your car there and then drive home 
Like, and then that sounds ridiculous, but we're incrementally building habits. And I think maybe sometimes people get, they try and jump in and then they get really unmotivated because they try and go all in. And if you think mm. of going to the gym for the first time, like I own a gym and if I go to a different gym, I'm still nervous. Like I'm like, yeah. where are the dumbbells? You know, you don't know where things are. So if you think of you've never been to a gym before and you're like, right, I'm going to start to get healthy. I'm going to start mm. going to the gym. And you go to the gym and you don't have a water bottle and there's no water station and you didn't realize you needed a towel and you don't have a towel and you don't know where anything is. There's all these machines you don't know how to use. Like the thought of all that makes me anxious just sitting here. And yeah. so that's enough for someone to go, oh, well, I'm never going to do that again because that was horrible. Mm. And same thing if you were running, like, yeah, I'm going to get into running and then go out and try and run 5Ks. No way. No, you know, start go small. For, go for a walk and, and run 20 seconds of it yes. and incrementally build your way up. But I think for that habit formation, going to do the exercise a lot of the time is the hardest. Mm. So if you can just build the habit of going and don't do the exercise, then you've won half the battle because you're in that habit of, okay, after work, I just go to the gym, I drive there and it's what I do. That's what I've done all week last week. So now I'm going to go in and, you know, build up small. Mm. Other ways is get a friend on board. That is always really, really helpful. Get a friend who (laughs) is going to stay on board. Get a reliable friend. Don't get a friend who's like, oh, let's not go today. Let's not go for a run today or let's just turn back here. Um, get a reliable friend. And then the third part I would say is to make any kind of long lasting behavior change. If it's something that's really important to you, then it's more likely to stick. So sit down with yourself and go, what do I value? And, mm. you know, exercise and movement might not be on that list, but there might be something on that list like I value family. And so it's like, okay, if if I want to be the best version of myself for my kids or my partner, exercise is a part of that and I'm going to link exercise to that value. Or if I value time with my family, let's go out and go for a bike ride together because that's linked with my value. And again, it's that anchoring of something that you're trying to do, anchor it to something that's really important to you and you're more likely to stick it out. As opposed to, oh, I I really know I should exercise or I really know I should go for Mm. a run. Even for myself, I think about where I really value going for a run is the stress release. And, Mm. um, you know, it gives me time to be mindful and clear my head. And so then when I was training for a marathon, I found it really, really hard because all of a sudden running was this chore and it was regimented. And, you know, I was on this plan to get better at running so I could run a marathon. And I just, I would... I'd really resent it. I would really be like, oh yeah. my God, I really don't want to go for a run because I didn't, I didn't value, <laughs> didn't value running a marathon that much. You know, like I just, I was like, oh, sure. But so yes. it wasn't something that was really, really important to me. But yeah. I was finding it really hard to go for a run in comparison to, mm-hmm. you know, I might run every day after work because I, I, I want, want to. to do that for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, linking with value, and yeah. and that's it for for any athlete or for any person in anything. It's like you don't have to do this. So if it's not that important to you, like, why are you still doing it? Yeah, maybe yeah. don't. Like maybe yeah. maybe it's not for you, sort of thing. And so obviously you've got little Harlow now, yeah. two months old. 
You're living off very little sleep. <laughs> Haven't run in an extremely long time. How are you practicing sound mind, <laughs> sound body? At the moment, for me, exercise is is getting out for a walk. And yeah, when I had Harlow, I, I think a lot of what I'd heard of a lot is people like you know spend that time at home and mm. and just enjoy that newborn bubble where you're just at home. And I hate being at home I hate it so much I'm not a homebody I don't I've never spent a lot of time in my home and so for me to keep my mind healthy was every day I'm going to get out of the house you know with a newborn that can be really 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 hard but it was really really important to me because I knew that if I sat at home all day and I think I've sat at home maybe twice and by the end of the day I'm like not okay. (laughs) I just need a break from being inside. Yeah, every day is let's get out of the house and move our body Mm. in some way. So this morning, Harlow and I went and watched the sunrise and went for a nice walk along the beach, which I thought was going to put her to sleep, but uh, no, she stared at me the whole time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've been just trying to get out every day and do some Mm. kind of, some kind of movement, which is really keeping me healthy also leaning on social groups I think you know when we talk about mental health we can't talk about it to the exclusion of social support because social support is huge and Mm. whether you're mentally healthy or you're not again our species wired for survival we're wired for social groups our ancestors would have had to be in social groups literally to survive and so we still have that wiring and yeah, having social support and you know friends, family, whatever around you is so important to mental health. And you know, I found in being a new mum has been has been massive. I think it can feel it can feel like the world is really small when you're in your home by yourself with your screaming newborn. You're like, mm. oh my god, does anything exist on the outside of this? And again, getting out or catching up with a friend or calling someone and being like, oh, I just need someone on the outside. And leaning on that social support is really important for mental health. Um, Yeah, my training goals are just, they're just movement at the moment. There's no real, no real goal for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Meg, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I can't wait to see you again soon and give little Harlow a cuddle. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. So eloquent, even though she was running on very little sleep. I think it's a testament to her commitment to the sound mind, sound body principle that she didn't fall asleep during our chat. Meg has provided us with a great understanding of how important physical activity impacts us mentally and also how our mental state can directly impact on our physical day-to-day life. We covered a lot of ground in that chat and you can find all the links to all the books and people she mentioned in our show notes. I have spoken to some amazing athletes and over the next couple of months we'll be dropping an episode every week as I talk to them about their sound mind sound body stories so please subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and we would love for you to rate us and review us to help other listeners find us thanks for listening i'm tegan nash and coming up next week on sound mind sound body stories next week 
double netball World Cup winner, Caitlin Bassett, talks to me about her journey from awkward, towering tween... I was just like Bambi on ice out there. ...to playing for Australia. Then I hung up and I called my parents straight away and I burst into tears and they said, what's wrong? And I said, I've been chosen to go and play for Australia. Caitlin talks about sacrificing her social life for her sport. I've never looked at like a World Cup medal that I've won or a Com Games medal and gone, oh man, I wish I went to that party instead. And always pushing to be better. You never actually sit back and go, man, I've nailed that. Caitlin approaches how she deals with trolling and people getting in her grill in a unique way. I always like to kill other people with kindness. And about the role she has played in making netball the sport it is today. They're probably going to be earning triple of what I earn. But I'm not going to be bitter about it because I'm going to be proud to say that I helped grow the sport to get to that next phase. Incredible dynamo Caitlin Bassett is the embodiment of a sound mind in a sound body. Listen and subscribe to Sound Mind Sound Body Stories now, dropping Tuesdays wherever you get your podcasts.